what oftentimes is missing. And so uh, we need to do that. And as typically is the case, Christ is the example for us. If you recall on the cross, as he's being crucified, he's being put to death. But what did he say? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. So, if Jesus can say that, then certainly we need to do that as well. And then, uh, love has been brought up, you know, different times in Colossians. It says, beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. And the word love here is the, the Greek word agape, as so often in the scriptures it is, that, you know, is best defined as an act of goodwill or putting, you know, the needs and, uh, you know, having regard for another above ourselves. And the scriptures teach that many times. And if we do that, that becomes the perfect bond of unity. You know, that can unite us. It's much easier to be united when we're considering the other person and what's best for them and trying to follow that. And then he says in verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body, be thankful. Peace, what a great blessing that is for us. And when we think about the world that we live in, the chaos in the world, and it seems like it's getting more chaotic. I don't know if it really is, but it sure seems like it. Having that peace is such a blessing. And that's what we have if we have Christ and we let Christ rule in our hearts. And having these characteristics helps us to have that peace. And he brings up the idea of being thankful. And this is repeated. It's here in verse 15. It's also in verse 16. You know, we're to have thankfulness in our hearts to God. And verse 17, giving thanks through him to God the Father. So, thankfulness should be a part of our lives and a regular part of our lives. If we're thankful, that will help us 
to have peace and unity. And so Paul is admonishing them to do that. Any thoughts or comments on that section? Yeah, Debbie. <laughs> I would rather run away when somebody isn't being kind to me um, in the church or otherwise. It's not my nature to necessarily lean in and bear with them, try to understand why they feel like they do, or try to help them to see mm-hmm. my perspective. I, I, I would rather, I'm not a Christian. people, and I don't think this is a bad quality necessarily, but a lot of people like to avoid conflict. Uh, and, you know, we're, we're told to be peaceable with one another. Uh, but running away from the problem doesn't really help the problem. So, uh, no, those, uh, those were all really good points. Yeah, Gary? You were mentioning uh, thankfulness at uh, 15 and 16 there. It's one of the main, sort of the main principles that Paul talked about in uh, Romans, first chapter, starting in verse 20, where he talks about the creation has no uh, excuse. Verse 21, because although they knew that, he gives a seven step list here. Mm-hmm. Stairs going down the first point in the first step. The very second step down is nor we're thankful. If we don't recognize what we have, we can be thankful for it. That's that's the second step of going down to be at the end professing to be wise to be fools and change the glory of the world from God into an image made a corruptible man. That's that's the final step Right. Okay. Yeah, excellent point. Excellent point. Anything else? Okay. Uh, Then it goes on uh, in verses 16 and 17. Uh, You know, let the word of Christ richly dwell in you with all wisdom, 
and teaching and admonishing one another with psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So, the words of Christ and letting those dwell in us, making that our focus, that allows us to be able to teach and admonish one another. And we're told to do that. And if we love one another and we're concerned about one another, we're going to want to teach and admonish. And when we see things that uh, need correction, gently try to do that. Uh, but again, the basis is the word of Christ. And, and then in verse 17, Whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. So, this idea of doing things in the name of the Lord, what does that mean? If you get a knock on your door late at night and the person calls out, open up in the name of the law. What do you think? Well, that sounds like a police officer. And when he says, open up in the name of the law, that means by the authority that the law gives me, you need to open the door, I need to talk to you. So, we're to do everything by the Lord's authority. That's what in the Lord's name would mean. I want to look at some other passages. Uh, there are some that I know of that they say, well, this means we just need to say the Lord's name in everything that we do, and it'll be okay. But look over in Matthew chapter 7, in verses 21 through 23. It says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So here in the Sermon on the, Mar on the Mount, Jesus is saying, just saying, Lord, Lord, isn't going to cut it. What matters is what you do. And are you doing things that have been authorized? Or are you practicing lawlessness? And he goes on to say, verse 22, Many will say to me on that day, I think, this talking about, the day of judgment. 
Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? This isn't somebody who wasn't doing anything. And they may have thought they were doing good things. But he says, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. You know, I never knew you. You weren't doing the things that I told you to do. You were doing what you chose to do. And so it's really important that we have authority for everything that we do. Uh, Also in Matthew, uh, in chapter 15, we find... uh, Jesus talking to the scribes and the Pharisees and pointing out where they fell short of this. In uh, starting in verse 3 in Matthew 15, it says, And he answered and said to them, Why do you yourselves transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, Honor your father and mother, and he who speaks evil of father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, whoever shall say to his father or mother, anything of mine you might have been helped by has been given to God. He is not to honor his father or his mother. And thus you invalidated the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites, rightly did Isaiah prophesy to you saying, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. So, what the Jews were doing, what the Pharisees were doing here, if you gave the money that you had, that you might have helped your parents with, if you gave that to God, then that was okay. You didn't have an obligation to honor your father and mother. Even though that was one of the Ten Commandments. I mean, clearly that was something they were supposed to do. But instead, they said, oh, if you give it to God, then it's okay. You don't have to follow the commandments. So Christ is condemning that and saying, you are practicing lawlessness. You are practicing the precepts of men. Uh, yeah, Leanne. Um, I think it's important to notice too that it said let the word and the peace of Christ rule in you and then you know you go out and you do everything in his name. I think that's sort of like a company culture. If you work for somebody and you're going to go out and represent them, mm-hmm. you need to know what they are so well. You need to understand what they do and how they would react. I don't think of it so much as authority, more as like you become what they are, so that when you go out in the world, people will see them when they see you. And okay. that's what we're called to be for Christ. And of course, yes, there are issues of authority mm-hmm. because we know what we can do and what we wouldn't do. Mostly, yes, as character, but I guess I when I see this. Um, let his words and his peace dwell in me as I go out and be his representative. It's more of a spirit mm-hmm. than a law. Okay. Yeah, that, that's certainly included. Uh, John. 
Excellent point. Okay, anything else? Yeah, Phil. Another thing that we've seen is in Christ, right? Mm-hmm. If we're in Christ, this is what we look like. He's kind of right. building to that. Right. And this chapter seems to be speaking that in, in Christ, we're becoming someone different. Uh-huh. And the first part of the chapter is kind of explaining that a little more. And in Christ, we look different. We treat other people different. Um, and we exhort each other in that kind of time with what Brian was saying. We, we uh, admonish, admonish and encourage each other through songs and hymns and spiritual songs. And then the last part of the chapter, he's talking about what that looks like in our relationship mm-hmm. with fathers, mothers, slaves, masters. And so to me, right. it all kind of builds what it, what it looks like in Christ, or to have Christ living with us. Right. No, you're exactly right. And uh, one of the things we'll see through the rest of the chapter, we'll find, you know, statements about, you know, in the Lord and things like that uh, are prevalent throughout that. So, uh, no, really good point. Anything else? Yeah, Caitlin. I don't think this is limited to the assembly at all. Uh, and kind of going along with that, you know, songs really help us to remember things. Uh, we teach our children songs and songs about God, and it helps them to remember. And I'm told that 
one of the last things that leaves a dementia patient's memory is songs. And so that's held on to longer than anything else. And so uh, songs can be very powerful. And if we fill our minds with the right kind of songs, that can really help us in our lives. On the flip side, if we fill our minds with ungodly songs, that can really bring us down. So what we listen to music-wise does make a difference. Okay, really good point. Anything else? Mindy. That's so true. My uh, three-year-old loves watching Daniel Tiger, and they have tons of songs, and they really help him to, like, when you feel so mad and you want to roar, can you be right in front of the board? Okay. Anything else? Mitch. I love the theme of thankfulness in here mm-hmm. as well. In mm-hmm. uh, uh, verse 15, and be thankful. Verse 16, singing with thankfulness in your heart. Verse 17, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. I feel like that is a huge part in uh, how we overcome the world. Absolutely. Anything else? Okay. Uh, Let's move on to uh, uh, the rest of the chapter. Uh, I want to read starting in verse 18 through chapter 4, verse 1. It says, Wives, be subject to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, and do not be embittered against them. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children, that they may not lose heart. Slaves, in all things, obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external service as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. For he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done, and that without partiality. Masters, Grant to your slaves justice and fairness, knowing that you too have a master in heaven. So here in this section, we find instructions given about basic relationships in life. We find similar lists in other places in the New Testament. In Ephesians 5, 22 through 6, 9, 
we find a much longer list or it covers pretty much the same things but there's more elaboration there uh, especially with the husband and wife relationship uh, in Ephesians 5 it compares that relationship to the relationship of the church to Christ and uh, wives are, su are to submit to their husbands just like the church submits to Christ and husbands are to love their wives just like Christ loved the church and so uh, it expands upon that and we won't take the time to uh, to read that now we also find uh, another list covering basic relationships in Titus chapter 2 verses 1 through 10 and in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18 through chapter 3, verse 7. So, uh, you know, this isn't the only place that we find that. And we also find, as, uh, as Phil has already pointed out, we find the statement, in the Lord, or something similar, several times through here. In verse 18, you know, as is fitting in the Lord. In verse 20, uh, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Uh, in verse 22, fearing the Lord. Verse 23, uh, as for the Lord rather than for men. Verse 24, it is the Lord Christ whom you serve. And chapter 4, verse 1, knowing that you too have a master in heaven. So the Lord is referred to many times, just as he is throughout Colossians. And, you know, there's certainly that theme that we've emphasized about Christ is all that we need. And that carries through in this as well. So, in all of these relationships that are talked about, uh, they're affected by our relationship to Christ. And our relationship to Christ should cause us to act differently in these relationships with one another than we would otherwise. Uh, you know, wives be subject to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives, verses 18 and 19. And the word love there, it's the same word uh, that we find in chapter 3, verse 14. The agape love, you know, putting uh, what's, you know, best for your wife ahead of your own interests. So often society tends to pit husbands and wives against each other like they're rivals you know, rather than them being joint heirs together with Christ uh, and the idea of love we've seen the details as to what that will look back in chapter 3 uh, Verses 12 through 15. But in verse 19, 
It uses a word embittered. It says, husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. That's an interesting word. And I found it's only used three other times in the New Testament. And interestingly enough, all three times are in the book of Revelation. In Revelation chapter 8 and verse 11, it says, And the name of the star is called Wormwood, and a third of the waters became Wormwood, and many men died from the waters because they were made bitter. That word bitter in Revelation 8 is the same word. And then also in Revelation chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, it says, And I went to the angel, telling him to give me the little book. And he said to me, Take it and eat it, and it will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. And I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it, and it was in my mouth sweet as honey, but when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. So, the word bitter there. And so, husbands are said, are told, don't become bitter. Don't be a bitter taste in the stomach of your wife. And so... I thought that was interesting to, uh, uh, to bring that out. And Proverbs in chapter 19 and verse 14 says that a godly wife or a prudent wife is from the Lord. A blessing from God. So we need to look at our spouses uh, as being... A blessing from the Lord. In verse 20, you know, children obey your parents. Uh, we find that language uh, in Ephesians 6, verses 1 and 2. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. And then, fathers, do not exasperate your children, that they may not lose heart. And the word exasperate, that word's only used one other time in the New Testament. And that's in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 2. It says, For I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the Macedonians, Namely, that Achaia has been prepared since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. The word stirred up is the same word that's translated exasperate in verse 21. So, the context of 2 Corinthians 9, uh, Paul is bringing forth the example of uh, the Macedonians and they had 
given money to help the needy saints in the area around Jerusalem. And so the word stirred up is used in a good sense here. But it can be used in a bad sense as it is in Colossians 3. So, fathers, stir up your children in a good way, not in a bad way. And then, uh, really the, the rest of the chapter and into verse 1 of chapter 4, is talking about the slave-master relationship. Uh, it's interesting to note that more is said to the slaves than to the master, the masters. And that may be an indication of the makeup of the church there in Colossae, that there were a lot more slaves than there were masters. We know specifically of one slave that is mentioned in chapter 4 and verse 9, Onesimus uh, is mentioned. It says, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of your number. So Onesimus was there. Uh, so it's, I think it's likely that there were more slaves and you think about it the gospel tends to be more appealing to those who aren't in good circumstances here on earth I know my brother spent a few years in Brazil South America back in the 90s and one of the things he told me he says Brazilians, by and large, are more interested in the Bible. Not because their culture is, you know, so much more godly. But their circumstances are not that great. The common people uh, in Brazil, they don't have it all that good. And so the idea of heaven is far more appealing to them than it tends to be for us. And I thought about that. It's like, yeah, I can see that. And you ask somebody, you want to go to heaven? Well, yeah, sometime. But if you're getting up a load right now, I, I kind of like it here where I am. And so, uh, so it's not too surprising that the gospel might be more appealing uh, to the slaves. Now, if masters treated their slaves or servants the way that the scriptures teach and is, is taught in this passage, and if the servants treated the masters in the way that this passage brings out. I don't know that there'd be a lot of difference in the slave-master relationship 
than there is with our employer-employee relationships today. And that's where I think there's some lessons to be learned. Yeah, Brett. Husbands, 
serve her husband without loving him? And can a husband be gentle to his wife without loving her? And can she wouldn't he need to serve her out of that love? So a lot of these passages to me, if you read down through them, it says husbands, wives, children, fathers, servants, really any of those, any of that, those concepts or that learning, those expectations of God can be applied to others. Okay. Yeah, good point. Anything else? Okay, well, there's the bell, so we will uh, call it quits there, and we will, uh, we will finish Colossians on Wednesday night. <laughs>